0: Hello, and welcome back to the FEZ show the last show of the week as it's Friday so if this is your first show that you are looking at then after this you can go back and look through all the other shows and catch up also, if you're enjoying the content, then remember to hit that like button and then press that little red button to subscribe if you're also enjoying the action so you don't miss a single show. We have a great guest lineup for you today. Joining me on the left corner is the one and only Chris Stevens, a former formulary journalist, part of the Miss Apex podcast. And on the right, joining me as ever is Jack Pickering. Morning, Chris. Morning, Jack.
1: Morning. Morning! Oh,
0: it's great to have you on the show today. Um, it's We've got a really interesting sort of topic to talk about today, and I'm going to get straight into it, because late last night, Formulary e just popped out this little story that the Gen 2 Evo car will be delayed, and there's obviously a load more cost-saving sort of techniques that they're going to introduce, obviously, to combat COVID-19, so... Chris, I'm just going to throw it over to you straight away. What did you think about the announcement of the Gentoo 2 car being uh, delayed and obviously what Formula E then proposed for each team to do?
1: So I wasn't surprised about the Gen 2 Evo um, at all because it, it just it makes perfect sense. I mean, uh, being realistic about our options, we're not going motor racing this year. And certainly we're not going to you know, get Formula E season in by, by August um, purely because motor racing is not... A priority right now you know of, of all the the sports sports in general like they might get the Premier League back on before anything else but just the amount of international travel that goes into motorsport just means it's, it's impossible until at least you know the, the the autumn or even the winter so delaying Gentilevo was not a surprise at all the thing that I was then quite surprised about was the cost-saving um, measures or at least the way they went about it because I always thought like, you know, their cost saving measures would come in the form of, you know, like, oh, you can only have X personnel and you can't have people working at the factory during um, during race weekends and you're only allowed this amount of time in the simulator and, and, and stuff like that. Um, whereas they, they seem to have just gone with a very, a very blunt approach of now a car has to last two years. Um, and from from what i can sort of make out of my head so obviously manufacturing parts you only have to do that once every two years now so there's a there's a saving there but i feel like the the actual development won't change all that much because they'll still be spending you know two years worth of money in 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 the two-year period um and it will just all come on the car um at once but it's definitely um it's definitely gonna help that's for sure
0: no, I, I, it's, it's really interesting because it's teams now have the opportunity. They can either build this new car for season seven, but they've got to run with it for season eight, and then, or they can carry on with their season six car that they've got this year, keep, run that into season seven, and then build a new car for season eight. So I think Jack, it puts teams in a predicament. Like, what do you do if you're an Audi right now? You, you've sort of made a dog of a car for season six. Do you continue that for season seven, and, and, and just deal with it and really put emphasis into season eight it's like a massive rule regulation change i i feel where you just you deal with it and then you make you focus your energy on your season eight car and you make a new one or do you make a new car for season seven hope that it works and continue that into season eight it's, it's a catch-22 that teams will find themselves in
2: yeah, completely. For, uh, uh, firstly, I think um, uh, I think I think it's a fantastic idea what they've done there to delay the the uh, the Gen 2 Evo and put this two-year cycle in place. I re- I reckon it's going to be pretty even split in terms of what teams will do. Um, as as you said, Audi, they can uh, uh, they could create a new car for season seven to to ensure that it's fighting more at the front than this season, but also also so like to um, BMW they'll they'll probably keep their they'll probably keep their same cars for uh, for next season, but also you uh, also you have to think because the new chassis is coming in in season eight, a lot of teams may also want to use um, uh, uh, the gap between season seven and season eight to to develop their powertrains. I think. Maybe uh, I'm 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 not completely sure on uh, I'm not 100% sure on how it works, but whether uh, whether Neo can switch powertrains during the during the summer or autumn, as it probably will be now, um, is uh, is uh, is one is one thing that I'd quite like to see if that's possible, and if so, if they have to stick for two seasons. Um, but yeah there are there, there are quite a few teams that i that uh, that i reckon uh, w- will stick because uh because it, it, cuz it's going to be the same chassis same engine you might as well develop a new um a new powertrain for the new sh- for the new chassis in season 8
1: i i got to say that um and and i'm going to criticize the you know the the series a little bit here and, and anyone who's listened to me on like any other show will know that i i hate doing it but i i will do because i love formula e and i will you know like criticize criticize where i think is necessary but i'm not a huge fan of the idea of retaining a car for an extra season just in general um it, it, it kind of makes sense in say like moto gp for example where you're you're selling the old bikes to your to your customer teams um but still you're you know the factory team gets the uh gets a new gets a new bike or at least a development uh and so the idea of keeping just the exact same car for two years i'm i'm not really a fan of um and at least though with this uh, with this system where like oh you, you could you can do it you can do it now if you want or you could or you could wait a season that at least means we're gonna get some maybe some swapping around of the orders um it, they I think they're risking kind of breaking up this this pack of eight teams that can all win races um, on any given day um but then we have seen like uh, in um, in season two. Uh, for example, there are a couple of teams still running a, a sort of pushed version of the season one powertrain. And they uh, both uh, teams ended up scoring uh, podiums uh, that season. So there's um, there's there's an argument, you know, for that as well. I do think it w- we will see quite a big shift in what Formula E becomes in terms of like the, the pack.
0: Yeah, that was my next question, actually, was what do we understand about this two-year gap? Is it going to continue this two-year gap into say, once we come to season eight, we're back to a two-year gap? So you can either make your powertrain for season nine, but you've got to keep it or, or so forth. Or is it just, how do you understand it, Chris? Because you might understand it a little bit better than me. Um, is it something that they're just doing for this two years to cope with the problems that we've had with COVID-19? Or is this something more long-term? Is this something that they're going to run this and run this as their model for for years to come
1: so that i don't have a definitive answer on that i kind of hope it is just a, a a covid19 response um because i think you know the do, doing it every year it just it, it makes sense and you know that the whole point is that you're pushing the technology whereas if you just leave it for an extra year then it doesn't it doesn't help that image quite so much i think um, I mean, obviously, Formula is still going to be pushing the absolute limits of what an EV can do in a racing sense. But it, it just—it doesn't—it doesn't really help the image when you've when you're just leaving it for for a year, even if other teams are introducing new cars or whatever, and you end up with that that big swap around. So you know, because we, we we've seen that other cost-saving measures come in in sort of slightly better ways, um, or slightly more sort of nuanced ways. Um, you know, we're always saying, how do we? You know, cut costs without taking away from the show. You know, like in in, in Formula One, where they're, they're talking about all oh, the heavier parts and all this, and you can you can cut this, and then all the cars will look the same. Formulae doesn't really have that problem because it's you know advertised as a semi-spec series, uh, but open but open powertrains. So so there are still loads of avenues that you can use to uh, to to cut costs, but you'll never see them, and therefore it doesn't take away from the show.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking, because I think it'd be odd if they did carry on that two year cycle forever, because then obviously pushing the technology, which is what we want to do, would be difficult. But I wanted to move on to sort of the the cost, because obviously it's quite timely. I had a conversation yesterday with Trevor Carlin and he was talking about obviously when, when Formula E first started to actually have a team and, and he was talking about possibly moving into that sort of team element style and bringing Carlin potentially into Formula E uh, alongside Mahindra when he was partnered with Mahindra in season one. He said it was about $3, 6000000 million uh, to, to start up a Formula E team. He said now the prices are astrono- astronomical, if I can even say that word. Like they're so high that, you know, a team like Carlin, you know, You'd have to have serious backing now to get into Formula E, which obviously probably shows the progress Formula E has made over six years. That it was a small, tiny little championship, didn't cost much to get in. Now, you know, you need serious, um, you need serious funding. It's Jack, the price
1: of world championship uh, status,
0: indeed, and obviously which would be going into next season. But Jack, in terms of cost-cutting and and being cost-effective. You know, formeries prices obviously in these six years have obviously risen dramatically. What do you think? You know, they could possibly maybe do more of to make sure that costs don't go um, way too high. Essentially, I'm not.
2: I, I'm, I'm not really sure uh, to be honest. But um, uh, but I want, But one thing that I do remember is when is when we had um, uh, when we had eleven teams a couple of years ago they uh, they advertised that 12th team spot for something like 24 million so i'm not i'm i'm not that surprised that the that the prices with owning a formula e team has gone up massively but uh also as the series has gone on and with more manufacturers obviously the revenue goes uh, go goes up and up and up but the thing is with formula e they uh, they already have st- uh, they they already have standard parts as um as chris said it's 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 a semi it's a semi spec series anyways and 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 the only place that and the only place that you you can really mess about is uh is with the powertrain so that's good enough in terms of like not 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 too much investment is needed but in terms of like lower in terms of like lower costs uh, it, it it doesn't help that there's that there's inflation year on year but yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure on what formula he could really do there.
0: Because I remember back in season two, right? But then when they were at the time, they could only. I think it was like the motor and the inverter, and everything else from season one was basically the same. And those were the only two things that form that teams could actually like work on, and apart from obviously the software of their powertrain. But in terms of the hardware, it was the inverter and the motor. And I remember the speaking gearbox. to Alejandro Gearbox, oh, Gearbox as well. Well done. Um, and I remember speaking to Alejandro Agag, and he was like. That's just—it's simply to keep costs down. But obviously, as the technology keeps improving, Chris, uh, the prices are going to go up. So they might have to maybe do what Formula 1 may be doing and putting in some sort of like proper cost cap that make that proper public to so costs already don't go out of control.
1: The stupid thing is, it's the same formula. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's still the same parts you can you can work on. Teams have just suddenly got a lot more backing, and obviously the, the arrival of of porsche having porsche in has changed the game right because i know we talk about how there's uh 10 different manufacturers in in formerly um or or however many oh no it's nine now actually but um and and you assume they all bring like big big bucks um and and that is that is true from a sort of commercial point of view but then you bring in somebody like Porsche, who just tips the balance astronomically uh, and and because they have got so so much more resource than any other team i'm not surprised at all that they came in and scored a podium on their first weekend uh, because frank if, if they didn't i think that would be a little bit disappointing for a team with so much available you know at their disposal, and so many fantastic drivers as well um and and even Mercedes were worried about the money that that Porsche were bringing so that that just tells you um so I think it's more with dealing with like one or two teams uh, to to help save the other the other ten and and for that you have a you you have a very very strong uh case to to help with that.
0: No, for sure. And it's amazing how far the series has come. But I want to sort of move on now because this was some sort of topic that we were looking uh, looking forward to talking about. And it was a story because we've all been in the paddock and it was the stories that we've been in. And I've got a story. So I'll kick off because obviously back in season two. So we were talking about time and that was season two. I remember back at Donington Testing that Hamlin Andretti at that time, who are now obviously BMW Andretti, Um, They couldn't get their season two powertrain out of the garage. It was literally stuck in there for the majority of the test. And then they went out for the final day of the test with the season one powertrain. Because the season two powertrain basically wouldn't get off the ground. So they had to revert back to last season's powertrain. But it was a really interesting story, this one. Because obviously, you know they they were the big story of testing as a journalist and as you'll see in formula 1 testing there's always that story you remember going back to like McLaren and Honda and all that all this with the car not working and Williams for example last season with not being at testing it's the big story every journalist is looking to try and find out what's going on with the big story and Amin Andretti unfortunately for them that was the big story so it sort of started because I did sort of like popping in at that time. And Chris will remember that we could just pop into the garage and actually ask the team principals, like mechanics, what was going on. And well, those fair, were the days, right? <laughs> those were the days. I remember now you can't, you can't just walk in. They've, they've all got their velvet ropes out. Back then there was no such thing as velvet ropes or, or boards that they would pop in front of, in, in F1. So I went into the garage and obviously I spoke to, to team members and they sort of told me uh, situations. And I went. I, so but then I was told to come back one day um, to the to the garage after uh, after testing to, and they walked me through basically their problems and what they were trying to do to fix it. And that was fine. I was like, great, that's fine. I'm, I'm very happy for that. So obviously then after testing, after the, the end of that day, I went to the garage, I opened the garage door, knocked on the door, opened the door. And then I sort of peered my head in and no one was there. It was empty. Um, there was only two mechanics working on the car and the press officer was just in the corner finishing up some emails. So I went up to the two mechanics. I was like, boys, is you know, is there someone around that I could talk to about, obviously, the powertrain and, and what's been going on? He said, they went, sorry, mate, there's no one here. They've all gone home. So you'll have to talk to us tomorrow, probably. I was like, all right, no worries. And then all of a sudden, the press officer, who's really lovely, and I'm not going to name anyone, but at the same time, she just came at me and I was like, Whoa, she was like, Oh, this is really unprofessional that you keep coming in and trying to talk and trying to find out and snoop. And I was like, I'm just trying to, you know, do my job essentially, like just find a story about what's actually going on. And I was just getting this, um, I was basically getting told off for for coming to the garage and snooping basically and trying to find out what the story is. And I was like, Whoa, and it sort of goes back to season one because I had an, an interview arranged with Andretti at the time and it didn't go through on that day. And then I spoke to the person I wanted to speak to um, later that day and that got thrown back at me at testing because I did that. And in my head, I didn't say it, but in my head I was like, but I had an interview arranged with that person during that day. And I was like, so when I saw him, I thought I just I explained the situation and said, you know, I was supposed to have an interview with you at 1 o'clock. It didn't happen because, uh, you know, things, things happen. I understand that things change on a race day. Um, is it OK if we can do it now? And we did. We had a great interview. But then because, obviously, they were having those problems and so forth, and then you've got me snooping around with other Joe and this, obviously, trying to find out the story as well. And I think the frustration, obviously, boiled up and everything that was going on with that team at the time and, obviously, the frustration of not getting the car out, I think it just boiled over and boom. There you go, I sort of got a big telling off, but at the same time, I was like, I was only doing my job, but yeah, that was my sort of my interesting story from from the pattern. I've got loads more, and i'm sure I'm sure I'll go into them at some point see but, see joe uh,
1: this is this is the thing for me, having been in journalism and now working in p r is that I can totally sympathize with both sides of that story because you are both just doing your jobs, and it's it's painful sometimes
0: oh. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's just it's just the way it is, I suppose. I understand their side. Obviously, it's not a great story. Your brand, your company, your race team cannot get your car out of the garage. And you've had to revert to the Season 1 powertrain while everyone else is loving their Season 2 powertrain and you're stuck in last year's technology. It's not a great look. I understood that. But at the same time, I was trying to be positive. I was trying to be like, you know, what are you trying to do to fix it? You know, how, how can you get this car out? You know, how hard are the team working? Give me some positive energy. To sort of combat the bad story. But they just weren't having it.
1: Do you know what's hilarious? If, if we would have been more focused on Trilly. If they were actually like at the track.
0: Yeah they weren't there.
1: They were. Okay technically they were.
0: They did turn because, up.
1: because. Well, do you remember it was back when all the teams were based at Donington. Apart from like one of them um, I think. So all they had to do was push the car out of the factory. Across the car park and then into the garage. It took like five minutes. Yeah. Um, and so technically they were at Donington, uh, but uh, they, they, weren't they, the didn't, they weren't in the garage for like three days. More than that. It was, oh, God, you had six days of testing back then, didn't yeah. you? So they didn't turn up until the final day at all.
0: Yes. But oh, it's crazy times that they were. Chris, I'm sure you've got, you've been in the paddock just as long as me. I'm sure you've got a cool story to talk about.
1: Um, I, I So... You asked me to like, yeah, come up with a cool story and I don't know if there is a, a particular cool story because like most of the time, I think they will just like amalgamate into one because most of the time it's like most of the stories involve, uh, you know, you, you, you get your work done and then, you know, you clock off for the day and you find whatever local pub does some really good beer and then you, you, you enjoy merriments for the evening and then, and then flight home on Sunday, um, and that uh usually it's is not, it's not really safe for work so so on a on a similar note of like battling the the communication methods you know having seen it from both sides was how awful i felt um when uh when albon uh was supposed to be in informally e and then suddenly got accosted by by Tara Rosso. um which we should, we all know how that's worked out um now but um, i was desperately trying to work out what the hell was was going on with albon because he was there he was at the test and he was he had the the gear on and everything but his car weren't going nowhere and and he i think if i remember rightly he he said that there was an issue with the car um so they were like covering up but but obviously by this point we know he's going to formula 1 and um, i had uh, the the late john paul drio kind of explaining um you know kind of how uh, he he had a he had a call from I, th- I think he had a, either a call from Helmut Marko or from Franz Toss during the Japanese Grand Prix like oh we want we want Albon um, and um, and I, I thought that it was a bad idea and so so context right this was a, a time when like Red Bull's junior pool was like really dry you know they had they had pulled Hartley back after ditching him. They were they were putting Kvyat back in the car because, frankly, they didn't have anyone else. And now they were going to steal a driver from Nissan that they ditched th- four years prior or something like that to stick him back in the car when they just put Gasly in the Red Bull. Now, no one could have predicted how badly Gasly would have done in that Red Bull. So I maintain what I said at the time, which was that Albon should have turned that drive down because I... As far as anyone was concerned, there was no long-term future with with Red Bull because, like Max and Pierre, that was a super young lineup and presumably was going to be super fast because Gasly was very impressive in the Toro Rosso, and um, and that surely is a long-term partnership uh, and lineup that they've just they've just created. So, what is Albon going to do at Toro Rosso? Uh, and I said the, the the much the safer option, especially and especially for a guy. Who had to be like bailed out by Drio to continue racing in F two the previous year, um, or that that same year it was actually um, the safer bet for him was to to stay with Nissan manufacturer drive in a great up and coming championship very respected S- security for for you know like could have had a Weck deal alongside it as well if he wanted with another team and he'd have been set up for the rest of his uh, career and. Um, Looking back on it now, people like to still bring up the fact that I wrote this 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 piece about why you should turn it uh, turn the drive down, and uh, it's not. Um, I, I maintained what I said at the time. I adamant about that. Just did not work out how I thought it would, how anyone would, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I know it was a crazy story. I remember I had an interview with Oliver Rowland actually a couple of weeks. He got the phone call Sunday night saying, "I think we need you in Valencia. Could you come just to test the car?" So you're saying Alex album was there. Oliver Rowland ended up being there as well. Um, I don't know if you saw him because I wasn't there. So yeah, Oliver yeah. Rowland was there as well. And he was just lounging about the back because he couldn't get in the car because there was contract issues and ended up not even driving the car. So he was there for testing, but it just, it, 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 he said it was just crazy. And he said he didn't even know. He didn't even know by the end of testing if he was going to drive the car. He's, he, They said to him, you might do the first race in Saudi Arabia. You might do the first race and then we'll try and find someone. And then he said, two hours later, he got another phone call, and he said, "Do you want to actually just drive the whole season?" Anyway, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so no surprise, right? But that's, that's the story of to finish up that story. That's, that's how Oliver Rowland got to see. He got the phone call Sunday night before testing even started. To say that we might need you.
1: Yeah. it's a great um, deal for Roland though, because he was great in, in F two with dams, which you point out as well. So that's where the you know, the connection the came. Link yeah. Because Drio had like 20, 30 drivers on the phone asking about the seat. Um, and um, and it worked out great for Roland because uh he didn't didn't really have like much lined up, if I remember rightly. I mean he was still like William's young driver at that point, but like, uh, a, a race seat in Formula 1 was not, looking, was not looking likely. So, so big winner out of all of this was Oliver Rowland, who, remember, Rookie of the Year he was. I mean, you know, podiums and pole positions and leading races and beating the, the Season 2 champion that people regard as the best Formula E driver. Certainly, statistically, the most successful. So, you know, what a year. What a year for Oliver Rowland
0: it was it was in, indeed it was now jack i know you've only been to one race you went to the rome race uh, last year so just to finish off our paddock stories how did you find your first ever race because i remember mine back in monaco for the first season it's it's just surreal like you can't believe that you're actually in it
2: yeah, well, well, I've I've been to many races as a fan, but Rome in 2018—that was my first race, actually, as a, uh, as an, an FIA accredited journalist. And I'll be honest, I don't think I was that professional at all. <laughs> but but yeah, that's that's um that's something obviously that's going to come with time. Um, I was supposed to be in Paris next weekend. Obviously, I'm not. But yeah, no, my my first weekend as um, as a journalist um, in Formula E was so surreal, mainly because like I'd seen I'd seen st- I'd uh, I'd seen like the pits and stuff from from uh, from afar in like in like when I'd been to Battersea in Paris, uh, but to actually like walk up and down the pit lane, just like oh there's Jean Paul Drio. I I I, I I had known Nichols, um, over, um, I, would had a couple conversations with Nichols, um, Jack, Jack Nichols, sorry. I, I, I just call him Nichols cause we're both called Jack. Um, uh, so yeah, I'd, um, uh, I'd had a couple conversations with him, um, over, over Facebook or Twitter. I, I, he's, he's in a Formula E Facebook group. And, um, and so I, and, uh, and so I'd, I, I, I chatted to him through there, but he, he seemed to just recognize me immediately, which was pretty surreal. Um, so yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I talked with, um, I talked with Jack a bit over, over the course of the weekend, bumped into Vernon K on the, um, on the Friday and he thought he already knew me. So love that from Vernon. Um, but yeah, no, it was, um, it was, it, 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 it was just incredibly surreal just to, just to actually be in the paddock. Um, I, uh, a, a, a side note to it all is, but I, I was um, uh, I was writing for a different site at the time, and I'd kind of gone over the top of my um, of, uh, of my boss's, like head, and brought my mate into the paddock so he could be a cameraman, which he wasn't happy about because because the thing is, we went to Rhyme not knowing if we were actually going to be in the paddock because we had been told that our that our things had been uh. Our passes have been revoked because I'd I'd let him in, but um, but but um uh, but we still got like all the uh, all the press emails. So we went there thinking, okay, are we actually going to be in the paddock? So we went up to the accreditation centre and we actually got the passes. And I was at, at that point I was already buzzing, but to but to actually get into the media centre and then just walk around pit lane, I just I just found it so surreal. I spoke with um, Sam Bird, who won that race, um, afterwards, and I also spoke. And I also spoke with Mark Preston. I doorstep both of them about an hour after the race, and I'm not sure whether that was the best decision, but I got two fairly decent interviews out of it, so I'm I'm still quite happy about it. But yeah, it it it, it was absolutely amazing. I I can't wait to be back in the paddock because it's it's just gives me a buzz and just makes me just so excited, like a kid right. at Christmas
0: i I remember it I remember mine it was is surreal
2: so
1: I remember mine. It was like two weeks after I picked up my a level results and uh and and you were there uh, Jack, because yes. i remember we we met we and we met with the formula spy lot that's how I got involved with um with them and uh, we had this moment in the pit lane where we went all American psycho with the business cards
0: <laughs> yes, I, I remember. You remember? <laughs> Here's my card. Here's my card. Here's yeah.
1: my card. If, you, if you've seen American Psycho, you know the scene <laughs> where they compare business cards. They're like, "Oh my god, I think it's even laminated and stuff like that." <laughs> I'm, uh,
2: I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to make some business cards for when, um, for when this season, well, if this season resumes and, um, uh, and we do get to, uh, and we do get to have a race, because if it, if it is August September, I might be able to go out there. So, but yeah,
1: yeah. I'm glad you brought up Vernon because uh, I have a Vernon,
2: um, story. Um, so when did when did he join was it season he 5 joined he joined season presenting? he joined season 4 because that was his first yeah. season with uh with Channel 5 Ah, uh, yeah because he was with Channel 5 at the time and so then so and and then in season f- in season 5 he joined the world feed and he's continued that into season 6 he's a lovely guy though he's so yeah. lovely
1: so so i spoke to him in rome last year in 2019 um he was talking to nicky and I, I went to Nick. It was the first race I'd attended that season apart from Marrakesh, I think. And it was uh, like probably the first time I'd spoken to Nikki since testing. So I went over to, to congratulate her about her baby. And um, and Vernon was, uh, was just talking to, to her and complaining about how his, his hotel room didn't have AC. And then he just turns to me. At, we had never really met properly and and Vernon just turns to me and he goes as your all tell got ac working I went no. <laughs> yeah yeah it
2: does it does Vernon i love I, I love that from vernon one what well, I, 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 I and i and i know that we're very very swiftly running out of time but in his in his first broadcast on channel 5 just just j- just during just during the grid walk because this is something that i will remember forever he kind of whilst whilst doing the grid walk he kind of addressed his mate whilst he was on television because because he said he, he basically said if any mates are watching this uh i'll get us a couple passes and then we can have a and then we can have a good old duck do and that is just and just that quote has just stuck with me ever since that's and just genuinely i i did want to ask him about that in rome what is a duck do but um but, hey, we can no. figure
0: what Duck Do is. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'd, I'd never heard it before until he said it on it. air. So, I, yeah.
0: I, I can only assume he means one thing. But just yes. one thing, just before we wrap up and end the show, the one thing I think I'm surprised Formula E haven't actually done with Vernon Kay is any family fortune jokes I just want him to go on the grid and go, and you know, do you think? Uh, ask whoever's on poll. Do you think you'll win? And then he goes, our oh, survey says. And then it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. You. Well,
2: well. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, Jack, when we had a, uh, uh, we had a, we had a, Skype or Discord uh, chat a couple months ago, and, and then and 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 you mentioned this to me. So yeah, I. and i think it's brilliant formula e fortunes should definitely happen
0: it it needs to be you needs to be a youtube show formula oh 100 if you're watching you can have that one for free okay boys i think we could probably go on for days but we've got oh we could but but, chris thank you so much for coming on i've I've really loved your insights today oh cheers for having
1: me on it's always good to catch up
0: pleasure as always thank you Uh, if remember if you're enjoying the content please remember hit that like button if you're really enjoying it really want to keep hold and keep watching every show then hit that subscribe button because you'll never miss a show you've been watching the fez show we won't be back on monday because there's a bank holiday technically today is a bank holiday but we won't be back on monday but we'll be back on tuesday and then carrying on all the way till friday so we'll see you then goodbye